Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Um, good morning, everyone. You go, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, as you're seated, can you just, can we say thanks to the band? The, uh, I don't know if you noticed, the drummer was singing. That was, that's amazing. Uh, also, thank you for letting me out of the cage, guys. Really appreciate it. Uh, so I'm Mateo. Um, if I haven't met you, um, it's a great honor for me to uh, teach this morning. We're going to continue our series uh, in the Ten Commandments. So if you've been with us, we've gone through the Ten Commandments, the series Guidelines for Freedom. And uh, today we're looking at a commandment that deals with honesty and lies. Um, and so let's just read the commandment. It's, it's uh, Exodus 20, verse 16. You're going to see it on the screen. It says, Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay. Uh, so I'm uh, a father of two little boys. I have a, a two-year-old. And I have a four-year-old. And uh, my, my youngest, my two-year-old, his name is Aurelio. Uh, uh, last few weeks, we've been kind of in, tr in potty training time. Okay, so parents of uh, small kids, you probably know what we're going through. And uh, a, a few days ago, there was a little puddle on the floor in the house. And I went to my two-year-old, Aurelio, and I said, Aurelio, what happened? And he looked at me straight in the eye, and he said... Ambrose did it. It was Ambrose, his older brother. And I said, Ambrose, Ambrose isn't even here. He said, no, 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 Ambrose did it. In his two-year-old voice, like straight, right, right? From a young age, we learn to say, you know, it wasn't me, right? In the words of Shaggy. Uh, and, I, and I will confess that I've, I, I've also lied. I lied to my kids. I'm, I'm currently kind of living a lie with my youngest. Uh, so I'm just going to confess, uh, Aurelio, you know, he's someone who needs to do everything himself. He has to put on his own shoes. He has to, you know, put on his own clothes. He has to use his own fork. He has to press any button that's in the house. He has to do everything. So recently we got a fridge uh, with a water dispenser, okay? So he always wants to press the button. So my wife came up with a scheme, okay? I'm supporting the scheme. And uh, we, we de devised this de deception that convinced him that if he just touches the fridge, he's the one kind of causing the water to come out. Okay, so here's a, a little picture. You should see the picture. There's his hand. He's just touching the fridge. He believes that the water's coming out. So that's my confession to you this morning. Uh, you're all now complicit in this lie. Uh, uh, we learn really from a young age, right? We learn from a young age how to lie. And we learn that oftentimes 
there are consequences to our lies. There are consequences, I should say, to telling the truth. Sometimes it's a small consequence. Other times it's a big consequence. It could be a financial consequence to telling the truth. It could be a relational consequence to telling the truth. And in, in many ways, uh, this, invita- this commandment is an invitation to really trust in God that it's better to face the consequences of the truth than the consequences of lies. So God kind of says to us, learn to trust me by telling the truth even when it's hard. Now, we've been looking at the story of, of Israel, and uh, just a recap of the story Uh, Israel was in Egypt, and they were slaves in Egypt. And remember, they, at that point in the story, they don't really have a Bible. They don't really, they kind of know about God, but they really don't know him. And they're crying out to this God. And God hears their cry, and he kind of sets them free out of slavery and draws them, brings them into the desert, into the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness, in the desert, where God teaches them how to live as people who are free. Now, remember, this is a time before governments as we know it, before bank accounts, before, you know, personal property, personal rights. So Israel knew something that I think we often miss when we read the story, is that they were set free not just as individuals, but as a community, okay? They don't leave Egypt and say, all right, see you guys, I'm going to do my own thing. Right? You can't do that. You, you, don't have any, you don't have anything. You don't have money. You, don't have, you have a couple sheep. Like, what are you going to do? See, they, they know that the only way for them to experience freedom is together. In many ways, the commandments uh, kind of invite us to think about it as something that is lived out in community. And, you know, in our culture, we've talked throughout the series about our culture and how really culture... Uh, thinks about freedom. How, how does the culture think about freedom? One, one of the main ways, the predominant way that people in our culture think about freedom is that freedom is autonomy. To be free is to be free from others. Right? I need to be free from my parents. I need to be free from my boss. I need to be free from the nine to five. I need to be free from society. Society can't put any kind of expectations on me. Of course, I want the benefits of society, but I need to find my meaning and my purpose by myself. And if we believe this, we start to approach the Bible and our faith and really the Ten Commandments as a self-improvement guide. It's all about me. And yet studies have shown this over, uh, over the years that it seems that like every generation is even though they're more free in that sense, they are more lonely and more isolating. You're going to see a, a, a slide here. Um, basically, there were studies done on childhood loneliness and that every, every generation, there's been an increase of kids who said that they felt lonely as they were growing up. So this is actually affecting the next generation. Uh, One of the, I think, most common and very popular examples of this idea of freedom is uh, what is called the digital nomad lifestyle. You heard of that? Digital nomad? You're going to see the the, the slide uh, coming up. Digital nomad, this this is actually a book written in the late 90s. They coined the term digital nomad. And what the authors were doing in like 1997, they were predicting a time where technology would allow us 
to work from anywhere and just travel, okay? That is today's digital nomad. And this is something really, really popular. Um, so, so basically, for those who don't know, a digital nomad is somebody who works from anywhere and, and uh, just travels, doesn't stay in one place, lives a nomadic lifestyle. So, you know, I'm going to go to Spain, live there for a month, and then maybe go to Mexico for a few weeks, and then maybe just stay in the islands of the Philippines. I've, I've planned this out, obviously. Uh, it's tempting, right? How many of you are like, like I, where do I sign up for this, right? It's tempting. And, and in fact, it's very, very uh, popular, especially for the next generation. A lot of social media uh, profiles are actually built. Massive audiences are built on this idea that you should be a digital nomad. You should just travel and work from anywhere. And, uh, you know, it sounds, it sounds like freedom, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds interesting. It sounds like something I, I would love to try. This promise that to be free is to be autonomous. Now, there is a dark side. There is a dark side to this. If you do a little bit of research and you start looking up the kind of digital nomad lifestyle, remember, this is kind of new. It's, it's gotten really popular because of COVID. But this is kind of a new idea. And what we're starting to see is that more and more people are sharing their stories, people who have lived this lifestyle for a few years, and they're sharing stories of regret and sadness and loneliness and mental health issues and suicidal ideation. I mean, it's huge because they believe that to be free is to be free from other people. And yet the Bible teaches us something a little bit different. This is, I think, a real temptation for us today. It's very, it's, it's very easy to apply this belief to our faith, to our everyday kind of walk with Jesus. But when God sets us free, he doesn't set us free from people, but rather teaches us a kind of freedom that happens as we get closer, as we learn to become more present to one another. And telling the truth has a lot to do with that. Um, and honestly, I have to confess, for, for me, you know, I've grown up in church, and I had times in my life where, you know, I felt, ah, oh, you know, church, it's messy, people are messy, people lie, they're not honest, I don't really need to, you know, deal with the people. And, you know, growing up in church, I was always really shy, my, my family knows this about me, I was really, really shy, and I used my shyness as an excuse to say, you know what, church, it's really just about me and Jesus. I just go to church for Jesus. Have you ever found yourself thinking this, believing this? And I mean, just think about, can you imagine saying this to Jesus in the time of Jesus? Just saying, hey, Jesus, I really like your teaching. I think you're, I love that miracle with the thing and the seed, and that was amazing. Hey, can we just hang out, you and me? What? What do you mean? Like, I don't really want to deal with the disciples. Let's just me and you have a thing, right? He would say, what do you mean? Like, we're we're, we're walking together. We're eating together. We're, we're, We're together. How do you do that? Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus had a lot of one on one moments with people, but it always led to the person saying, where is now my role in this community? And so Israel's going to learn that there's a, a sort of freedom that only happens in community. And this is something that we're, we're learning, too. Especially as it relates to truth and lies. So we, we actually see this in the, 
in the command itself. I mean, look how, notice how relational the command is. You're going to see it again. It says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Why not just say, do not bear false witness? Why not just say, don't lie, period? We all know the answer, that, that even the smallest of lies can destroy a relationship, can destroy a marriage, can destroy a friendship of 20 years, can destroy a community, a church. Actually, we can safely say that there is no such thing as an isolated lie that does not violate the dignity of another person. Unless, of course, you have small kids, then there's a special grace for you. That's different. Lies are relational. Lies are relational. Truth is relational. Even if we lie about ourselves. Or maybe you're thinking, well, what if I don't get caught? What if I just become good at lying? That's a good question. I think we need to consider that. Maybe you'll get away with lying for a really long time. You know, uh, a few years ago, many years ago now, I was in college, and uh, it was a Christian college, and there was another student a few years younger than me who came to me and kind of, you know, opened up to me and confessed and said, you know, Mateo, I, you know, every time I get into a relationship, I can't trust the other person. I just, I, I feel like they're lying to me. I can't trust them. I can't seem to trust them. And as we're talking, uh, he confessed to me that for years he became a compulsive liar. For years he said, I just lie about everything. I just, I don't even need to lie. I just lie. Just because just the habit of lying, and over time, as he was lying, getting away with it, he became a good liar, but by doing that, he undermined his own ability to trust anyone. Trust is the essential ingredient for any relationship to flourish, right? You cannot have intimacy with another person if there is no trust. You cannot know a person if all they do is lie. You cannot be known if all you do is lie. So trust is important not just on a personal relational level, but it's important even at, at a societal level. Throughout, throughout the Bible, there's this really important connection in, in Scripture between truth and justice. If there is no truth in the society, there can be no justice. In fact, the prophets will, will talk about this theme over and over. They'll, they'll connect sin and injustice with lies. And dishonesty. And Jesus, in fact, will refer to the devil as the father of lies. There's this strange relationship between uh, lies and evil. And, and we get, you know, some of the greatest, we just look into our history, some of the most recent history, some of the greatest evils that have happened. We think of slavery and you think of the Holocaust. I mean, these were possible because you, 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 enough people believed a lie. A lie that people of color were innately inferior to white people. Or that Jews were innately inferior to so-called Aryans. In order to make a lot of people do evil, just make them believe a lie. There's this destructive power to lies. And it's taken so seriously that Israel actually had consequences in the law of Israel, not only when they lied, but when they became indifferent to the truth. See, the people of Israel were called not only to avoid lying, but to be people who cared about the truth. 
What does it look like? What does it mean to be people who care about the truth? I think most people, if, if you ask them, they'll say that they care about the truth. But I think the temptation is, the first thing we think about is the truth that is out there, right? The truth of, you know, people out there who are lying to us. How does it affect me? You know, the, the government, they're lying to us. The news outlets, they're lying to us. The big corporations, they're the ones, they're lying to us. And there's a time and place for those discussions, but in the Bible, there's, there's actually this kind of, we're encouraged not to think just or not to care just about the truth that is out there, but truth that is embodied in our day-to-day lives. Truth that is lived out. And even as Christians, when we talk about caring about the truth, I think, you know, at least for me, what comes to mind is caring about, you know, truth with a capital T, caring about the truth about Jesus. Now, that's important, but I think sometimes we can get so excited about truth that is out there and ignore how that truth actually penetrates our life and how that truth is lived. And there's this disconnect between that truth and my life that lives out the truth. In fact, uh, you know, maybe some of you, some, some Christians, oftentimes, at least for me as well, grew up uh, taught evangelism methods. And a lot of these evangelism methods step-by-step instructions on how to tell people about the truth, like a recipe, a lot of times they are really impersonal, right? They're almost so impersonal that they become argumentative, like a debate. And, and sometimes we can get so excited about the truth out there that we become confrontational about it. And there's an irony here. Because when we do that, that leads to us bearing false witness about God. I'm going to say it again. When we care more about the truth out there, more than the truth as a way of life, we bear false witness about who God is. This is like a, a big kind of important meaning when we think of the word witness. Now, the word witness is a legal term. But it's also, uh, it has another kind of important meaning for the story of Israel because the story, in the story of Israel, remember that God sets Israel apart. He chooses Israel as a special nation to do a special task. He doesn't set them apart and, say, and says, now you're going to go to heaven. There's none of that. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm setting you apart to be a witness so that other nations can know me. There's, there's, you know, Jesus is going to use the word salt and light or to be a blessing to the nations. Other nations can experience the, the love of God, the wisdom of God, the freedom of God, not by reading the Ten Commandments, but by seeing the people of Israel live out the Ten Commandments. See the difference? And as Christians, we need to consider what does it look like to care about truth in a way that points people to God? It can't just be handing out Bibles. There's a, don't get me wrong. There's a time and place for that. But it can't just be that. It's got to be more than that. In fact, Paul will say, he'll say, we are, we, not the scriptures, he'll say, we, the community, are the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who don't know Jesus. See, when we bear false witness against each other, when we neglect truth as a way of life, we begin to bear false witness about God. 
Paul, I want to talk a little bit about Paul. Uh, Paul is um, a guy who comes way later in the story of of Israel. You'll find him in the the second half of your Bible. And uh, he becomes a Christian. He's a Jew. He becomes a Christian, and he uh, becomes a leader in the church. He plants churches, and he writes a lot of letters to these churches. And one of the letters um, is a letter to the Ephesian church, okay, the church in Ephesus. And uh, Paul, in this, in this letter, he's going to address this issue of lies and truth in a whole new way, okay? He's going to give a whole new reason why we should not lie, why truth matters. Now, before I tell you what Paul says, let me ask you, if a kid, maybe if you have kids, if a kid asked you, why shouldn't I lie, what would you say? What reason would you give? Maybe, well, there's consequences to your lies. Because I said so. That's a good one. That's a a great one. You you know, it's going to affect your relationship. You know, the society is better if you don't tell lies. Uh, These are all good answers, but that's not the answer that Paul gives. Paul says something totally unique. He says this in Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor because we are parts of each other in the same body. Try that one on your kids next time. That's confusing. That's it's almost like a little bit weird, right? We are parts of the same body? Parts of each other? I am part of you and you are part of me and we are part of the same body? See, for Paul... Because of Jesus, we're all sort of kind of connected to each other in this really mysterious, beautiful way that lies will hurt everyone. What body is he talking about? If you have read Paul before, Paul loves to refer to the church as the body of Christ. The risen Jesus. And I love this metaphor of bodies. He doesn't say that the church is the mind of Christ, that the church is the spirit of Christ. He says the church is the body of Christ. Bodies are flesh and bones and meat. It's, it's, ah, it's in your face. It's present, right? He's saying remove any kind of lie and deceit and falsehood and tell the truth to each other because you, not you as an individual, you as a community are the very flesh and bones, the physical presence of Jesus in the world. Lies and falsehood will violate our witness. Lies and falsehood will violate our ability to be the very presence of Jesus in the world. This is the reason that Paul gives. And, and, you know, some of you are here today and... uh, you came maybe from another religious community years ago or maybe recently where a leader, a pastor, priest lied to you or lied about you. In fact, I know some of you, your stories that you've told me, that people have, leaders have lied about you from the pulpit. Leaders using deceptive strategies and they will justify it that it's for the kingdom, it's for the truth. See how easy it is to disconnect those two things? Causing church splits. And Paul will say deceptive ways 
and lies will destroy churches. So if you're here today and you come from that context, I just want to say thank you for not walking away when it was probably easy for you to do that. Thank you for believing that those people who claimed to be for the truth were not. I, I mean, I get angry about this. I don't know if you could tell. Do you, do you get angry about this? We, I think we should because you know who did get angry? Jesus got angry about this. This was one of the things that made him the most angry when religious leaders used deceptive ways. He would get angry and call them hypocrites. That was one of his favorite words. What does it look like for us to care about the truth? And I love how Paul says this. He says, each of you, you'll see it on the slide, each of you must put off falsehood. Each of you. He doesn't say the pastors. He doesn't say the leaders. He doesn't say the volunteers. He says, each of you must put off falsehood. The word uh, falsehood in the Greek is pseudo which we get the word pseudo in English, which is, I don't know, is that funny? It's a prefix. It's actually not, not, not really a word. It's a prefix that we put in front of other words to mark something that is superficially, you know, appears to be one thing, but in reality it's, it's something else, okay? It's a counterfeit, a fake, a facade. So this is not just about lying. This is about putting off any sort of pretense, any sort of kind of fakeness. And uh, let me ask you, in church, are you more likely to put off falsehood or put on falsehood? I, I, I think about this often, and, you know, I think, why, why is it that so many people I, I know, and maybe some people that you know, want nothing to do with church? And one of the main reasons, and, and there's been lots of research and studies on this, one of the main reasons, usually number one reason, is that people feel that the church is filled with hypocrites. Hypocrisy in the church. Now, a hypocrite is not somebody who sins. Everybody knows everybody sins. Nobody's perfect. Everybody knows that. A, a hypocrite is somebody who lies about their sin. A hypocrite is somebody who pretends that everything is great. Their life is great. People in church are liars. That's what they say. I mean, this should bother us. But you know what? I kind of get it. I don't know about you, I'll be honest, it's a sermon on honesty, so if, if the church was full of liars, I wouldn't want to go to church either. But to be fair, I think a lot of people, maybe some of you in this room, have grown up in a context where you needed to have everything all figured out, right? That your family better be perfect, that you dress a certain way and you act a certain way and you, you say certain words and you pray a certain way. You have certain kinds of friends. And in that context, rather than putting off falsehood, we put on falsehood. If not, you may be rejected. You may not fit in. In that context, it's not safe. It's not safe to put off falsehood. It's not safe to be truly known. It's not safe to bring up maybe questions or doubts or struggles or even failures. Now, I am not saying that you should come to church and tell everyone all of your problems and all of your baggage and, you know, you, you, use a little bit of wisdom. But you shouldn't lie. What's one step that we can take to put off the pretense, the cover-up, the pseudo-identities 
in church, online. I'm not even going to get to online. Now, if you've been doing this for 30 years, 20 years, whatever, in church, it's going to be really hard to do this. There might be consequences to telling the truth. There might be people who walk away from your life. There might be people who think, yeah, not the person I thought they were. Are we willing to do that? To take that step to remove the falsehood from our lives? Remember, this is relational, so it's more than just considering our own lives. We need to consider the lives of others. What is your role, what is my role in creating safe spaces so that others can take off the falsehood? In order for me, in order for my kids to remove falsehood, they're going to need safe spaces that you're going to give, that your kids are going to give, that your kids' kids are going to give. We need each other to create those safe spaces so that we can remove the falsehood. And we can't just rely on, well, the program, the, the pastor, the volunteers are going to do it, the kids' ministry. What is my role? What is your role in creating a safe space where truth can happen? I have to say, I am so grateful for many of you in this room who have given me, personally, safe spaces in times of my life where I just needed to be honest, I just needed to be vulnerable, and you, you did that for me. You probably know who you are. What's your role? Now, everybody has a different context. Some of us, you know, you're, you're a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mom. You're a working professional. Uh, maybe you're retired. What does it look like for you? It, it might happen on the phone. It might happen in a text message. It might happen online or while serving on a team, cleaning something. I don't know. Maybe just around the dinner table. It might just begin with us being willing to tell the messy truth about ourselves, telling our own stories, our struggles, our doubts, our sins, the time that we almost walked away. Tell us those stories. Talk about those stories. Why do we hide? We hide those stories and pretend they never happened as a way to show that I'm strong in my faith. No. Remove the falsehood. Create safe space for others. It might also mean asking better questions. Maybe we need to become better at asking questions, and maybe we need to become better listeners. You know who is really good at this? Um, Jesus. Jesus was really good at asking questions. See, he knew everything about people, and yet he had an amazing way of being sincerely interested in people. He, he was kind of curious. And I think we need to recover this Jesus-like curiosity. See, he, he was curious. He wasn't nosy. He wasn't nosy. Nosy people will never be transparent about their own life, okay? But to be curious in a way that creates a safe space. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus didn't necessarily affirm every lifestyle, but still he listened and he learned and he loved people wherever he found them. See, I think the only way that we can do this, this practice, this Jesus-like curiosity, is if we learn to stop making up stories about each other. This is what the ninth commandment is all about. All right? Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie about other people. 
And what Jesus will say, we've looked at this verse a few times, Jesus will say that before you bear false witness out loud, it happens in your heart. This is what he says in Matthew 15, 19. It says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. It says, before you even tell lies about people out loud, you've already created a story about them in your heart. Isn't this so easy for us to do? Right? We think of a person or a situation and we don't have all the details and by, somehow by default we just fill in the details, right? With assumptions. And if we're not careful, we end up creating false stories about people that we don't even know. We don't even know the details. Maybe we've had one encounter with someone or one conversation and we think we know. We know them. I know that kind of person, right? Ah, they're not going to fit here. Oh, that, that person, they're, you know, they're never going to grow up. They're never going to get serious about God. Or maybe it happens online, right? You see a picture of a person, you haven't seen them in a while, and all of a sudden they're skinnier. You think, what do you think? Oh, something's probably wrong. Something's going on. Their marriage is on the rocks. Why do we do this? We don't know. Maybe uh, they just got healthier. We don't know. And we need to kind of catch ourselves when this happens. Because that's where bearing false witness begins. I've done it. Have you done it? What would it look like if we committed to practicing a Jesus-like curiosity? that creates space for truth and transparency for each other. Uh, As we come uh, to a close, I realize that many of you, maybe even unknowingly, are carrying wounds because of the way people bore false witness about you. People lied about you. When we look at the story of Jesus, you know, from the moment that Jesus was born, people bore false witness about him. They made assumptions about him. They judged him. They told lies about him, saying that he was a glutton and a drunkard. The religious leaders were actively looking for people to lie about him, to arrest him. And in Mark, it says that many people told lies about him. They falsely accused him of blasphemy. And when he was arrested, Peter, his closest disciple, lied by denying Jesus. If anyone knows what it's like to be lied about, it's Jesus. See, the disobedience of this, the disobedience of this very commandment led to the murder of Jesus. Even though Jesus never lies, never lied once. And in fact, in the ancient world, you know, gods could lie. For most religions in the time of Jesus and in the time of Israel, the the gods could lie if it benefits their purpose. People knew that, but not this God. Not this God. Not the God of Israel. Not the God revealed to us in Jesus. This God does not lie to us, and he does not lie about us. He tells the truth. He knows the truth. And he says to us in our pain, in our wounds, he says, I know, I know, I know what you're carrying. You know, we might be tempted in those pain, in those wounds, to never let ourselves be known 
to close up and say, no, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm just going to hold on to the falsehood. Why should I let myself be known? It's a big, big temptation for us. You know, the only reason why it's possible for us to create safe spaces of honesty and truth is because Jesus did it for us and continues to. We can be honest with Jesus. We might, we might fool everyone in church. We might. We, for years. But we can't fool Jesus. We can't hide anything from Jesus. But it's safe. He doesn't reject us. He doesn't send us away. He knows everything about us, all of our faults, our weaknesses, our failures, our falsehoods, our lies, our regrets. And still he says, come, follow, learn from me. Learn to care about the truth the way I care about the truth. Learn to take a step towards just putting off the falsehood. And then you will be set free. You know, people today who have bought into the myth that, you know, freedom, to be free is to be free from people. They're not that way because they're just selfish and they just want to be alone. Most likely they are that way because they have not seen an authentic community of people who have committed to put off falsehood. Nobody's, we're not perfect, we're not going to get this perfectly, but we're at least, let's say, we're going to be committed to this. Removing the facade, removing the lies, removing the counterfeits. Sometimes it's having really hard conversations that are uncomfortable. There's consequences to telling the truth. But we won't lie to each other. And we won't lie against each other. And we'll create the safe spaces for the next generation to say, I, it's safe here. I can be honest. I can be truthful. We all want this, don't we? The world wants this doesn't it? We all want to be known and to be loved. Because God, God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. I'm going to close just with a quote, and I'll ask you to stand just as I read this quote. And um, it's a quote from a famous Christian author, a really well-known Christian author. And um, he actually wrote this, his name is Tim Keller, he actually wrote this in a book on marriage. But I thought it was so Uh, relevant for us this morning just as we read this and he says this to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial to be known and not loved is our greatest fear but to be fully known and truly loved is well a lot like being loved by God It is what we need more than anything else. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Let's pray. God, we we, uh, sometimes have a hard time believing that you truly love us and that you truly know us, but you do. You know and we can't hide from you. And still, knowing all of our faults, all of our weaknesses, all of our failures, you say, I love you. And you invite us to follow you and to learn your ways, to learn what it means to live in truth so that we would be hope for the world. So, Holy Spirit, please help us when we are afraid to tell the truth. Help us when we would rather hide 
and not be honest about where we are in our lives. Help us to be people who are known for their truthfulness and to trust in you as we do that. God, we thank you that you um, continue to help us and are gracious to us in times where we have failed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone. Wow. Can we just thank uh, Mateo for that message? Just such an important, uh, just thank you, Mateo, just for using you to allow God really to call us to put off falsehood and what it means to, to just live in the truth and just even touching on just an important value, I think, for us as a church as well, to want to be a church that is a safe space for others, to know the, the kind of truth that sets us free. So thanks, Mateo. Uh, I'm glad to be uh, your neighbor. I know we live a few, uh, uh, just down the street from you now, even though you lie to your kids. Uh, thankful for you, so... Hey, uh, just if you just are here maybe for the first time, this is new to you, and you just feel there's something on your heart that you want prayer for, maybe something even from this message that just stirred you, maybe as you think of just ways others maybe have wounded you as you think about falsehood, or, or just something that you feel drawn to just pray about, even as you think about what it means to put off falsehood and to live in the truth. We have a wonderful prayer team just in a purse space in the back corner. I would just love before you rush off to even just take the time uh, to just pray with somebody there. Uh, before you go as well, just as we look to the next week, as school starts for so many, uh, next week we have a special time just gathering to just pray for back to school. And so we're going to just take some time together. I think we just have a little slide about that, but just to pray together. If it doesn't come up, that's okay. Uh, we're just going to take a time in the, in the gathering to invite the kids up as we do and uh, the teachers and just to pray for students and teachers, administration, and parents as we uh, look to the fall. And so I uh, hope you can join us next week. That's it. Thanks everyone for being here. Great to see you and have a great week.